The book, Reason for Being, results from the St. Andrew's Galatians and Christian Theology Conference in 2012. Since the beginning of the Triennial Scripture and Theology Conferences in 2003, the intention was to promote dialogue between Scripture scholars and theologians, a goal realized during the 2009 conference to a satisfactory extent. The 2012 conference saw a refreshing engagement where participating scholars and theologians significantly immersed themselves in understanding the perspective of the other side. Distinct from previous conferences, the main papers were prepared with consideration for the views from the other side of the divide. This development allowed for deeper and more productive discussions following the paper presentations. Scholars like McCormick, O'Donovan, and Soding ventured out of their comfort zone to observe their subdisciplines more comprehensively. Others, such as Barclay, Rabins, and Cover, adopted a unique approach to Pauline text using contextual philosophical and ethical thinking. The collection of papers by Pullman, Elliott, Wengert, and Hoffman framed the context for these interdisciplinary interactions by focusing on Galatians' interpretation history. The inclusion of several shorter papers reinforced the primary content without censorship of topics. It was crucial, however, that they contribute to the discussion of scripture and theology. Although some papers distinctly leaned more towards theology or scripture, they still raised relevant questions about Paul's Messiah, gospel, and Judaism. Despite moments of discomfort due to the complexity of discussions, it emphasized the critical balance in exercising intradisciplinary approaches within divinity studies. The book symbolizes a pivotal step towards a harmonious coexistence of historico-exegetical and conceptual applicative tasks under the broad umbrella of divinity, despite the term's possible outdatedness. This intradisciplinary process fosters a dynamic balance of attraction and repulsion that maintains honesty and scholarship. Also, the book, Justification, Gospel, and Ethics, edited by Eliot, is divided into three sections as suggested by the title. Notably, the concept of justification is ever-present, yet the writings go beyond simply depicting it and move into deeper discussions about leading Christian theologians and their perspectives. The first section grapples with not only the works of Luther and Lutherans, but also delves into patristic debates. This segment of the book aims to address and debunk the criticism that those promoting the newer perspective on Paul, NPP, lack a thorough understanding of the Reformation period. The NPP has matured over the years, reinforced by the impact of the New Yale School in theology and biblical studies. These studies have forged a path towards a deeper understanding of the narrative readings, biblical intertextuality, and the significant role that faith communities play in interpreting such concepts. The writings in this section guide the readers towards a complex comprehension of the context of Paul's teachings. The ideas and correlations between eschatology, apocalyptic, covenant, and the expectation of a transforming reading and living community are constantly accentuated, often subtly. The final part of the book focuses on ethics, depicted as inherently interwoven with living the gospel rather than a mere result of past realities. A noteworthy point made in this segment is the inherent unity between ethics and the practice of the gospel, comparable to the inseparable nature of British fish and chips. The traditionally less discussed chapters of Galatians 5-6 have been insightfully explored in this segment. Throughout the volume, the influence of historical theology and biblical interpretation is subtly yet powerfully interwoven with the main discourse, offering a well-rounded hermeneutical perspective. This enerches the overall purpose and integration of the book's contributions. 
Moreover, the amalgamation of English-speaking and non-English-speaking worlds of academia poses a challenging yet rewarding endeavor, as demonstrated by a successful conference. This gathering, which saw a natural bridging of two hemispheres of knowledge, had six essays submitted by non-native English speakers, showing significant inclusivity. This diverse representation was much appreciated, especially by those who resonated with the conference's premise. The success is, however, credited more to the general atmosphere rather than the organizational aspect, though Beth Tracy's leadership played a key role. Systematic theology, ST, might be undergoing a phase of redefinition rather than an identity crisis. While several esteemed theologians are striving to reshape the discipline for future needs, the handful of standout inputs reflect possibly a scarcity of fresh ideas as much as their clear standpoints. Perhaps ST can thrive when it leverages pioneering views on modern world perceptions, allied with premier historic textual examinations, primarily the Holy Scriptures. This approach, however, also relates to biblical studies, as those two shouldn't become complacent, especially as some conferences may offer excellent exegetical presentations but fail to provide substance due to their historical insulation. This often results in uninteresting or at most quirky propositions which leave no impression on modern-day Christian cognition or lifestyle. In response, this book's compiled essays aim to aid both aspects of the discourse. Through these collected works, the hope is to foster not only a deeper understanding within their individual domains, but also the continual dialogue across various domains as initiated by these conferences. Furthermore, Eliot explores the concept of Jesus' messiahship in Galatians. He argues that while many scholars have either overlooked this topic or suggested that the term Christos is used by Paul simply as a name and not an endorsement of messiahship, he believes that the concept is central to the interpretation of Galatians. To focus his argument, he primarily looks at the third chapter of the book. Eliot uses Novenson's book, Christ Among the Messiahs, as a key reference in his argument. Novenson posits that the term Christos is used as an honorific in Paul's letters, not merely as a name or title. Eliot feels encouraged by this perspective, although he recognizes the complexity of Galatians as a text. Addressing potential methodological problems, Eliot avoids discussion of Christos as the bearer of Paul's incarnational Christology, affirming that first-century interpretations of Messiah do not necessarily include incarnation. He suggests that the messianic expectation in the first century was focused primarily on the nation rather than an individual, and it was likely politically motivated, seeking radical societal change. However, such political aim could take multiple forms, from more violent revolutionary acts to symbolic religious rituals and acts. Eliot concludes by asking how one can argue for messianism in Galatians. He insists that the analysis of messianism should factor in the large-scale socio-political features of the first-century Jewish landscape. In addition, Eliot discusses the idea of Jesus as Messiah within Christianity, particularly in the first century. He asserts that the role of Jesus as the Messiah was a central belief in early forms of Christianity, including the narratives of the Gospels, Acts, Hebrews, Revelation, and the Apostolic Fathers. The perception that Paul might have disregarded this belief, given its potential repulsion to the wider Gentile world, is argued against. He outlines that if Paul didn't acknowledge the messianic significance of the word Christos, the Greek term for Christ, he would be an exception in a universally messianic movement, which seems unlikely. 
Eliot also discusses the Jewish practice of retelling the biblical storyline in a variety of ways. These retellings occur throughout the Bible and specifically recount parts of Israel's history, often focusing on repeated rebellion, sin, and God's subsequent punitive actions. These narratives aren't seen as remnants of ancient history but as continuous stories with the reader still participating. The importance of these narratives is their highlighting of God's redemptive actions in response to persistent failures and the Abrahamic covenant as the symbol of hope. Eliot adds that this tradition of recounting the biblical story continues into early Christianity, particularly in the Gospels, Acts, and Hebrews, but with added clarity and focus because of Jesus. Lastly, he notes that many of these retellings often hint at a coming figure— frequently messianic, such as the world ruler from Judea in Daniel's first-century readings. While not all Israel narratives end with a Messiah when present, the Messiah is a figure who fulfills ancient promises, rescues the nation from catastrophes caused by rebellion, and provides a much-needed resolution to the story. Further, Eliot makes a study of the use of certain words in the biblical book of Galatians, challenging the traditional understanding of its themes. Frequently cited themes like salvation from sin, Paul's gospel, and justification by faith are examined from a statistical perspective of word usage. Key Greek words relevant to these themes like sozane, soter, and soteria are notably absent from the book. Other words related to sin, faith, and the law are present, but infrequently compared to others. One term Eliot notes is used notably often is Christos, or Christ, which appears more frequently than other important terms like Theos, God, and Pneuma, Spirit. The ratio of use between Christos and Theos in Galatians is strikingly different from other writings of Paul. Eliot theorizes that this distinctive use of Christos in Galatians holds important significance to the understanding of the book's messages. He suggests that Paul uses Christos with active messianic significance, rather than just a proper name, deeply impacting the interpretation of Galatians' core tenets. He posits three arguments from this usage of Christos. Firstly, that it is meant to indicate Messiah within the context of Galatians and actively shapes the book's discourse. Secondly, that Christos plays a central role in Paul's intertwining of the church's theology in Galatians. And thirdly, that the way the term explains the connections made within the book has often been overlooked by historical scholarly interpretations of Galatians. Besides, Eliot argues that the term Christos in the book of Galatians used by Paul to describe Jesus should be interpreted as Messiah, arguing against those who say the term has lost its messianic implication. Eliot sees Paul's message within Galatians as a retelling of Israel's history that culminates in the coming of Christos, the Messiah. In chapters 3 and 4 of the letter, Paul alludes to narratives from the Old Testament, such as Abraham's covenant with God and the Exodus, and presents Jesus as the fulfillment of these narratives. He is insistent that the term Christos carries weight in its messianic meaning, tying directly to Israel's historical narratives and God's promises to its people. Eliot points to Paul's use of the narratives as evidence that Christos shouldn't be taken as a given name for Jesus, but instead a title of significant religious implications. The fulfillment of the Messiah is deeply rooted in historical narratives and shows Jesus as the divine agent that brings the promises of these narratives to fruition. This continues into Galatians 4, where Paul presents the argument of liberation through sonship alongside the theology of inheritance, all pointing to the Messiah as the bringer of God's covenantal promises. 
Eliot's case relies heavily on the contextual understanding of these narratives, the covenant with Abraham, and the role of Christos in these retellings. He suggests that the term's original meaning of Messiah shouldn't be overlooked as its implications are grounded deeply in Israel's history and are theologically relevant. Therefore, to dismiss its meaning in favor of simply seeing Christos as Jesus' given name would be to dismiss the profound theological significance that Paul attaches to these narratives in Galatians. Additionally, in Galatians 3 and 4, Paul's theology of incorporation or participation comes to the fore. He uses the concept of Christos, or Christ, as the central vehicle for his discourse on this belief. As per Paul, the long-prophesied fulfillment of Abrahamic promises came through a historical pathway that culminates in Christ, Christen. The believers, thus incorporated into Christ, are recognized as children of God. This inclusion is suggested to have transpired through the sacramental act of baptism, presenting Christ as a receptacle that individuals enter into. Resultantly, they are considered in Him. Paul further argues that established societal divisions among Jews, Greeks, slaves, free men, and even between genders are rendered irrelevant through this inclusion in Christ. Following this proclamation, he presents that those incorporated into Christ constitute Abraham's seeds, continuing the Abrahamic legacy and inheritance. In Paul's understanding of Genesis 15, the Abrahamic promises were always aimed towards creating a unified family which, he suggests, is embodied in Christ. He also focuses on the collective meaning of the term seeds, interpreting it as a family rather than a group of individuals. Paul's use of Christos refers to the collective body of believers, symbolizing God's promised single family. By employing the term Christos, Paul effectively provides a new definition of the people of God. This reimagining of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises signifies a radical departure from the traditional pathway to divine realization, with incorporation in Christ central to his revised proposition. Therefore, according to Paul, in order to partake in divine promises, believers must be incorporated into Christ, thereby participating in the divine lineage of Abraham. Thus, Christ both embodies and enables participation in the promised family of God. Also, Eliot's work primarily explores the themes of soteriology doctrine of salvation, and ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, in the Apostle Paul's writing. He contests that Galatians is not about soteriology as traditionally assumed, but about ecclesiology and defining God's family. Eliot argues that Paul shapes a redefined Jewish ecclesiology that is integral to his definition of the Christian church. Eliot indicates the connection between the Christ, or the Messiah, and the concept of the people of God being incorporated in him. He avers that the Messiah represents Israel and is central to the Abrahamic promise. The fundamental line of connection, in his view, goes from God's intention for his people being encapsulated in the Messiah to the emphasis on their root in the Abrahamic promises. In examining Paul's portrayal of Christ, Eliot surmises that Paul's view of Jesus includes both Messiah and the inclusive representative of Israel. Eliot implies that the Messiah and the people of God are essentially connected by the resurrection, God's act for Jesus in the middle of history mirrors what God was expected to do for all of Israel at the end. Eliot also delves into the complexities of Paul's understanding of being in Christ, where to belong to the Messiah is to belong to Israel. He illustrates how Paul defines belonging to this new messianic reality, the Israel reality, to be grounded in the action and life of Israel's God. 
Eliot's analysis of Galatians through the lens of ecclesiology maintains many features of Paul's theology that might seem puzzling when viewed as a treatise on soteriology. He argues for a theological interpretation that situates Jesus as the Messiah within the historical journey of Israel, as the one who brings about its divinely mandated climax, and as the embodiment of God's people. Overall, Eliot's work aims to interpret Paul's writings in a way that points out the intertwining of divine and human narratives in the formation of Christian doctrine. Last but not least in his conclusion on messiahship and Pauline theology, Eliot argues two main points. Firstly, he suggests that in Paul's theology, there isn't a distinction between juridical and participationist thinking. He contends that just as covenant and apocalyptic are intrinsically linked, so too are justification and participation in Paul's thought. Therefore, when Paul talks about being justified in Christ, he believes this to be encompassed within the concept of participation. It is an ecclesiological viewpoint which inherently includes the juridical soteriology that Paul establishes elsewhere. Secondly, Eliot posits that if Jesus is indeed Israel's Messiah, there is a need for the discussion of the Messiah in a political context. The book of Galatians does not heavily center on Jesus as Kyrios. However, it does caution against following another gospel. 1. 6. The only known other gospel in first-century Anatolia was that of Caesar and Rome. Based on whichever location was the nucleus of Paul's Galatia, it seems that Paul was in opposition to the Roman Empire. The title of a recent archaeological study of Pisidian Antioch, Building a New Rome, further reiterates this view. Once the relationship between justification and participation is rightly understood, Eliot prompts a renewed inquiry into the relation between gospel and empire. In conclusion, Eliot's work presents an exploration of the St. Andrew's Galatians and Christian Theology Conference in 2012, focusing on the theme of dialogue across disciplines and their respective perspectives. According to Eliot, the conference saw active engagement between scholars and theologians. It was an occasion where papers were presented by speakers who moved out of their sphere of comfort and ventured into understanding the perspective of the other side. Important contributors to the event like McCormick, O'Donovan, Soding, Barclay, Rabins, and Cover proposed unique methodologies for understanding the Pauline text. The book compiled by Eliot titled Justification, Gospel, and Ethics is divided into three sections reflecting its name. The book compiles various interpretations and perspectives of leading Christian theologians relating to these topics. It repeats discussions about salvation from sin, Paul's gospel, justification by faith, verse-by-verse -verse exegesis of chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians, Pauline theology of incorporation, ecclesiology, doctrine of salvation, Christianity, and historical Judaism. In an important concluding point, Eliot notes that Paul's teachings do not draw a distinction between juridical and participationist thinking, instead seeing them as intrinsically linked concepts. Furthermore, he suggests that if Jesus is seen as Israel's Messiah, there needs to be a political context for analyzing messiahship. Eliot argues that understanding this relationship can shed critical light on the deeper meanings of gospel and its relevance in the face of the empire. Moreover, the exploration of Jesus's messiahship in Galatians is significantly detailed in the work, and Eliot challenges conventional interpretations, suggesting that the term Messiah was crucial to the understanding of the historical and theological narratives presented in Galatians. Furthermore, he underlines that this messiahship encapsulates the history and future of Israel, 
leading to a new understanding of being in Christ and what it means to belong to the people of God. In addition, Eliot's work presents a critical redefinition of soteriology as previously known, and he argues for a theological interpretation that intertwines Jesus with Israel's history. He suggests that placing Jesus as a Messiah within this context allows for a richer comprehension of Israel's history and future, as well as the profound role he plays for God's people.